So now you know all the Bible. Up to chapter 13 of the story. We are teaching through God's Word using this method. It's the story. It's the New International Version of the Scripture. And it's put in chronological order. Your Bible is not, if you didn't know that. So if you've ever read and been like, I don't understand this. I feel like it's all over the place. Well, and sometimes, in some ways, it is. But the, the story puts the Bible in chronological order, and then it connects the narrative. It keeps the story going. And today we're going to talk about David's son, who became the third king of Israel, a guy by the name of Solomon. And the way that I wanted to start uh, Solomon's story was talking about the end of his life. And because here's the thing, everyone in here will have a time when it's the end of your life, where people will say something about you and how you lived. I think it was maybe a little over a week ago now, New City lost um, one of our um, members who is here pretty faithfully. Her name was Larissa. And Larissa passed away while I was away in Thailand. And you know, Larissa had a really rough life. Like she was homeless. She had a car and that was about it. She just had a handful of friends. And sometimes those friends, I was one of them, was really frustrated at her. And Larissa, Larissa uh, you know, she's gone. And, and people have thoughts. And I, I see how hard Larissa's life was and how hard she wanted it to, to, to get better and hoped that it would get better. And to be honest with you, she didn't even have a funeral. This is, this is her funeral. The words that I'm saying right now, family didn't really care. You know what the, fa- well, the family, I won't even tell you, the family didn't really care. And she lived her life in such a way in the, that, that, that maybe sometimes people didn't recognize what she had to offer. And I, my prayer for Larissa this morning, and for us as it kind of is the catalyst for Solomon's life, is how do we live our lives so that what people will think about us once we are no longer here? Solomon's story starts out, uh, I guess you could say there's two perspectives to Solomon's story. When you read your Bible, when you read this story, you have two perspectives. You have the historical account of Solomon's life, and then you have his own perspective, uh, Solomon's uh, uh, assessment of his life. First Kings, Ezra, writes about the kings of Israel and Judah, which was Solomon was included in that, a historical account. But also in the Old Testament, you have the book of Ecclesiastes and you have the book of Proverbs, two books that Solomon wrote about his experiences and about his wisdom that God had given him. The Bible says that Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And so he wrote this book of Proverbs. There's 31 chapters. If you're struggling with what to read in your Bible, like you want to pray, you want to read, but you don't know what to read, I would read a chapter of Proverbs every single day. For example, today is September the 20th. Guess what chapter you could read? Man, you guys are so smart. Yeah, the 20th, right? Tomorrow you would read what? Man, boom, right? You read the 21st. And it's, it's not long, but there is so much depth and so much wisdom in those things. And I promise you that it will speak to your life. He also wrote a book called Ecclesiastes, which you might have heard recited at a funeral. There's a time to mourn and a time to laugh, right? There's a, there's a season for every, uh, there's a time for every season of life. And Solomon wrote that book. And so there's these two perspectives. Now, why are we talking about Solomon's story in the great big narrative of God's big story? See, God is accomplishing something. And up through King Saul, David has established, I mean, God has established a nation. Saul got out of line. He gave it to David. Now David is going to turn it over to his son Solomon. But Solomon, we will learn, doesn't do things God's ways. And it's after Solomon passes away and his son takes the kingdom that God divides the kingdom in two. Let's actually read this. Let's start in 1 Kings chapter, 1, uh, chapter 11, verse 19. And we're going to start at the end of Solomon's life. And we're going to kind of look backwards, do a little uh, backstory after we hear the very end. 
And this is what Ezra writes concerning Solomon. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord. Baptism is a beautiful picture, amen? But the Bible writes over and over about finishing the race, not starting the race. Our world is full of Christians who started the race well. Woo, I'm going to run this baby. And you get a quarter of a mile in, you're like, it's pretty hard. Right? Solomon struggled. His heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although, the, the, the he had, although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, which was his father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. And after Solomon's reign, you're going to see this kingdom of Israel be torn into two, Israel and Judah. Israel is going to be the northern tribes, 11 of them, and Judah is going to be down here at the bottom. And you're going to see these two kingdoms parallel through the remainder of the Old Testament. And it's because of Solomon, man, his heart turned away from from God. He did not... Finish well, but he started off really, really strong. Anybody ever started something really, really strong? Anybody like a diet? You're gonna do this, right? You like did like I did. You buy like that Slim Fast package stuff, or not Slim Fast Nutrisystem, and they sent you these boxes of all these prepackaged meals, and you eat two of them. You're like, these stink, right? Where's Taco Bell? Taco Bell tastes so much better. Why can't they put that in the boxes, right? We all start stuff. That gym membership, you know, they love people like me. The guy who Pays for the year and never goes, right? We ought to do church that way. Anyway, here we go. Let's work back. This is how it starts off. First Kings chapter 2. I love this picture. Man, if you're a daddy in the room and you have a son, this is, this is your son's Christmas present. I don't, know how old you, I don't care how old your son is, right? And I, you could do it for your daughters, but this is between a father and his son. And this is David's dying words to his boy Solomon. I love this. I love this. This is what he says. David says, I'm about to go to the way. This is how it starts for Solomon. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Man, can you just see that? David's in his deathbed. He's sick, laying in his bed. And he says, call for Solomon. Solomon makes his way into his room, kneels down beside his father, gets right up beside his bedside. We've all had, maybe had this experience at a hospital visiting a loved one. Maybe your dad, maybe your grandfather. I had this experience with my grandpa. And getting right up by them and kind of having this final conversation. And David says to Solomon, be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. And he explains it a little bit. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me, which was this. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me and with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Now we know through David's life that that successor will eventually be Jesus, our Messiah, who will come from the lineage of David, through Solomon, through the line of Judah, all the way through. But Solomon got off track. Notice 1 Kings, the very next chapter, chapter 3, verse 3. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given to him. Sounds pretty good so far, right? Solomon men did what David, his father, had asked him to do. Comma, what's that word? Except. 
wah, wah, right? Come on, what's that word? Except Solomon, it says, showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. If you have ever ridden through the Old Testament, and we will read through more through all, the, all of these kings, you will see often these two phrases, high places. You will see high places often. High places, if I could just kind of give you a very uh, simple um, definition for what high places are, it would be this. High places equal the things that you don't think matter. High places are the things that you don't think matter, and we all have high places in our life. In Scripture, high places would be the place where somebody had built an altar up on a hill, up on a high place that was meant to worship something other than the God of Israel. It was a high place, and they would burn incense, and they would worship there. And king after king, you will discover, will go and they will destroy all of the temples, all of the, uh, the, the places of worship, except, often, except the high places. Oh, those don't matter. You have things in your life that you don't think matter. And you need to hear this. They matter a great, great deal. Another way to view these high places, I think this is important. We were having this discussion on Thursday morning with some of the teachers and pastors of New City. A high place, if you want to write this in, it's not on the screen. A high place is often the right thing in the wrong place. It doesn't say that Solomon at at this point in his life was worshiping other gods. It was that he was worshiping the one true God in the wrong place, in the wrong way. That's not how God said to worship. God gave very clear rules. Last week, Pastor Chris talked about the, the young man who reached out his hand trying to do a good thing to stop the ark. And what did God do? God killed him, struck him dead. He was trying to do a good thing, but God said, don't you touch the ark with your hand, with any part of your body. But he, he did trying to help. Sometimes, if you're not careful, in your spiritual journey, you will do the right things in the wrong way. Oh, it doesn't matter. No, it matters, guys. It matters a great deal. We live in a culture that has watered down your faith in God. We live in a culture that says, you know what? As long as you have a good attitude, as long as you have a good spirit about yourself, as long as your heart is in the right place, then it's going to be okay. And I, I, I would ask, your, to ask yourself, is that an accurate statement? Is that truth? What are the things in your life that you're like, oh, it really doesn't matter? Oh, come on. I I looked at her just a little bit at work today. It doesn't really matter. I had a conversation where I kind of opened my opened up emotionally to my to this male coworker. And and you're like, oh, it doesn't really matter. It's not a big deal. I I went on this website. It it doesn't really matter. Right. And, and, And I'm just telling you, it matters. Those are the high places in your life that if you don't give attention to. That if you don't pay attention to, it's going to cost you in the long run. Listen, Solomon had it figured out. He was doing a good deal, except he was doing the right spiritual things in the wrong places. Let me tell you what happens in his life. It opens the door for things that really matter to go haywire. Listen, things that you don't think matter gives the enemy just enough room in your life Where he gets in there and he clears out space. And before long, you're saying things, you're doing things, you're buying things, you're thinking things that you would have never thought, bought, said, or did before. Because it all started with something that, oh, it doesn't matter. No, man, it really, really matters. It really matters. There's a discipling thought this morning. Here's what I would ask you to do on the backside of your bulletin. You've got a lot of space there. Don't use all of it. But here's a dangerous question. What is a high place for you? 
What is something that you don't think matters? And you know this, it's, it's in your head right now. You don't think it matters, but yet your spirit is saying, hey, this matters. I'm going to sleep in a little bit more this week. It don't matter. No, it matters. No, it matters. What is that? And what might God be asking you to do based on what he's communicating to your spirit right now? The only thing I can do, see, I can't go down the row and say, this is yours, and this is yours, and this is yours. You don't want me to do that. I'd be wrong. But I trust right now the Holy Spirit, right, is using the words as I communicate the scripture, and he is saying, hey, this is for you, and it's something specifically for your life. And here's the thing. Now you get to lean into it. You get to walk through it. You get to hear and obey. Does that make sense? That's how the word becomes alive. So Solomon continues to live his life, and he's loving God except in those little places. And one of those places outside of doing the right thing in the wrong place when it comes to worship was Solomon really loved women. Now, I know you think you like women. I know you think you have a lust problem. Let's look at Solomon. You ain't got nothing on Solomon. If you do, if you do, then we need to talk after church. I'm serious. Like if you're like, oh, yeah, I connect with this guy. Me and you, we need to talk, and we need to get some serious Prayer and counseling after service. I'm trying not to be too funny. I'm being serious. Are you ready for this? King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter was his first wife, right? And he loved all of these women who their last names ended in ites. And they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because why, guys? They will what? They will, they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. It wasn't because their culture was different or their skin color. It was because they had a different belief structure, a different worship structure that was going to pull you away into a different direction. It would be like me coming back from Thailand. I was there for 10 days. and Let's pretend that I'm single for this story. Falling in love with a girl from Thai, all right, a girl from Chiang Mai, who was a faithful Buddhist. I, got, I visited some beautiful places of worship where people, I don't get what they're doing. A lot of money given to beautiful things and I don't get it. It would be like me falling in love there, legitimately falling in love with a girl who was a Buddhist and thinking that her religion was not going to affect my religion, that her faith wasn't going to affect my faith. Some of you in this room who are dating, can I just give you an, an area of caution? Be careful who you link yourself up with. Because if they have a different faith system, you might just experience what Solomon experienced. If you think, oh, I'm going to influence them, they're not going to influence me, man, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter. Oh, it matters. Come on, it doesn't matter. What about business? You're going into business maybe with somebody who has a different faith or belief structure than you. Oh, Matt, that doesn't matter. Okay, here's the deal. I believe it really matters. But if you don't think it matters, that's fine. But I would put a lot more thought into those things. Notice what Solomon did. They were from other nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, oh, come on, it doesn't. You're with me, right? Good, you're listening. It doesn't matter. Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives. I got a great wife. I don't want another one. I'm just being honest. Like I have a wonderful wife. And as good as she is, if you told me I got two, no way, I'll pass. And she would pass on the second hubby, I promise you. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth. That's why there was so much peace in Solomon's kingdom. Because he had, he had relational, political marriages all around him. 700 of them, to be a to matter of fact. And 300 concubines. Right? Now, if you don't know what that is, you can ask your mom and dad on the way home today. Right? 
And his wives, what did his wives do? They led him where? Not towards God, where? If you think Solomon was the wisest man in the whole Bible, the scriptures say, the wisest man who ever lived. And if he was led astray by those who had different faith systems, what makes you think that you're the one that can't be? Maybe it matters. Maybe. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. Now it's not just his God and this other one. Now it's his God and 47 other ones, right? 700 other ones. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Church, we must be here. I'm talking about New City right now. If you call New City home, this is a drum that I bang all the time and the other teachers bang all the time. We have to be. We must be. Now, like, if you're like a person who's like, hey, Matt, be careful on these hard black and white statements, you know, because the world's a lot of gray. I'm going to be really, really hard on this black and white statement. We must be a people of God who are loyal to Christ and Christ alone. If you're looking for a church that's going to say, well, as long as you really believe in something, then you're good to go. I would say, ink, foul, not here. Here it matters, and it's Jesus is Lord. And we hold dear to that. Now, you may not like our music, and you may not like my preaching style, and you may wish we had cooler things. Sure, I do too, right? The truth is this. We're going to hold fast to Jesus is Lord as best as we can and say it matters a great, great deal. Here's how we communicate that. We don't use the words, you need to love God. And you need to be more faithful. Listen, people love their spouses all the time and cheat on them like crazy. People are faithful to things all the time and cheat on them like crazy. We use that word love and faith way too often. Here, we say this, are you loyal to Jesus? Not do you like him, not are you a fan of his, not do you really love him. No, are you loyal to him? Are you loyal to him? Because it's really hard to be loyal to Jesus and also loyal to all of these other things. And I'm telling you, our, our culture is watering down what it means to be a Christian. It's been watered down. We're deluded. And now you've got guys like me, and there's a lot of guys like me, specifically in this ministry, who are saying, you know what? We're trying our best to make it pure again and saying, this is what it looks like. I was listening to a pastor on the radio this week, uh, Robbie Zacharias, and he was saying, man, people want a faith uh, that doesn't have a lot of do's and don'ts. He goes, you can't have Christianity without do's and don'ts. You don't fly a plane without do's and don'ts. You don't drive a car without do's and don'ts. You don't have a marriage without do's and don'ts. What makes you think that following Jesus is not going to have any do's and don'ts? And a lot of times, he said, the don'ts come before the do's. And can I tell you, they matter. They matter a great deal. Now, Solomon was known for writing Proverbs. Can I offer you a proverb this morning? This is a, out of uh, what First Matthew Miller chapter 1, verse 1. All right? This is a proverb from me to you. And I think it's truth, but it's just a proverb. It's just a saying. You ready? Here it is. If you choose to walk alone, you will eventually walk away. If you choose to walk alone, you will eventually walk away. This would be my argument for what happened to Solomon. Solomon walked alone. You think about David. David, his father, had his mighty men. You think about David, his father. David had Nathan who came out and called out sin, hard sin in David's life. Solomon, you know what he had because he was so smart, so wise? He always had people coming to him saying, will you teach me? Can I learn from you? Solomon had everything going for him, so much so that he didn't walk with anybody. Everybody wanted to talk to him. Everybody wanted to learn from him. Apparently, everybody wanted to marry him. Right? 
But Solomon didn't walk with anyone. Now hear me. If you choose to walk alone, you will eventually walk away. That's my proverb. Meaning, if you choose not to rally yourself around people who are following Jesus also, there will come a time in your life, I'm not saying it's next week, I'm not saying it's next year, but there will come a time in your life when you walk away from what God is trying to do in your life. And so I want to show you something that I, we use here at New City Church as, as a staff team. It's something that I uh, use a lot with church planners uh, that I get to uh, coach and encourage. And this is what I would say. I gave you the space on the back of your bulletin. If you want to, this is very practical steps. Because here's the deal. How? How do I not end up like Solomon? Like as Solomon, as great as he was, if he could go south and end up as a person who didn't follow the Lord, which caused the nation being divided, what's to say that your actions, if not corrected right now, aren't going to lead to a divided kingdom within your own family? I'm telling you, the enemy destroys family all the time. And the only kingdom that you guys in this room lead is your own household. And who's to say that if you're not careful, that the enemy may get in your household and he may divide it. Maybe he's already divided it. Maybe now there's two kingdoms and the kids go to the kingdoms on different weekends. I mean, God is the great restorationer. He's the great reconciler. God, man, he can, I don't know if restorationer is a word, I just made it up. But God can pull those things together. I want to give you a tool. Maybe this would help. I want you to draw a cross on your bulletin. And you can use, I, I love this tool. You can use it. Make it your own, right? And here's the first part where you start in your, when you choose, like when you make the decision, I'm not going to walk alone, where do you start? The first place you start is you start with God. You start up. In the scripture there, that is the reference is uh, John 15, 1 through 8, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. The man remains in me and I in him who will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, like this is a wonderful scripture for you just to camp out on for the remainder of the year and say, I want to better understand what it looks like for me to be attached to King Jesus. Because if you try to bypass this relationship with God, nothing else is going to matter. Well, let's just go to the next slide here. Because this relationship is going to power everything else I'm going to show you. Some of you are extremely talented people. You're talented. You have the gift of gab. I have that gift, right? You, you, you can sell. You're really good at your job. You might be the engineer, the architect. You're, just a, you're great at whatever it is that you do. And if you're not careful, your talents will, will, will cover a multitude of sins. And you have gone through your life thus far on your own energy, on your own strength, and you've neglected what God is trying to do. But here's the thing. God will power through everything else in your life that I'm about to show you. Let's check this first one out. The first one is your heart, your family. Before you start worrying about everybody else in your life, and you, you cannot, you must not bypass your family. I got a picture of my family right here. This is Jen, Allie, Christy, and Luke. That's my bunch. That's my little kingdom. And this may be hard for some of you to understand, but I'm going to say this. They are more important to me than you are. And somebody should say amen, pastor, because that's what you want. Like, how many pastors have you heard sacrifice their family because of their ministry or their church? Listen, those little boogers, and I won't call Jen my big booger, but those people right there, they, they come first. They're my family. How do I pastor and lead other people if I'm going to overlook my home? It starts right there at the heart of the leader, the heart of the person. What's next? After you have your family and you're leading there, the first one I would say is, who are the Pauls in your life? Who are the Pauls? Paul is the great apostle Paul. In 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul looks at his protege Timothy and he says, Timothy, what you've seen me do in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to uh, tell to reliable men who will pass it on to others. It's generational. Paul says, Timothy, I want you to tell to reliable men who will go to others. Four relationships, four generations deep. 
I am amazed about how many individuals, both men and women, don't have Pauls in their life. A Paul is someone who is further along than you are. They, just, they know 15% more about life, marriage, finances, ministry than you do, parenting. They know just a little bit more. And you intentionally, on purpose, meet with them so that they can look at you and say, hey, this is what I've done. This has been my life. It could be in a variety of things. Ministry, your work. I know Randy, one of our elders, he's about to retire from the Leewood Police Department. In these past several months, he's been a, being a, he's been a Paul to several other officers who he's trying to coach and train what he's been doing. You need those men in your life. You need those women in your life who will say, listen, you're about to make some really stupid mistakes that you have no business making. One of my Pauls is Dan Sutherland. I meet with Dan every week. And what's great about this is I'm going to get there quicker. Why? Because I'm not going to make the same stupid mistakes that Dan has made in his ministry and in his life. We're going to get there faster. What about the other direction? The other direction would be your Timothys. Who are the people in your life that you're just a little bit further than? That you know a little bit more than? Now, again, I'm going to go back to my little proverb. If you choose... To walk alone, you will eventually walk away. Your paws will keep you going. Like when you go through a tough time, they will inspire you, encourage you through the word and through experiences to keep pressing on. But you have the opportunity to do the same thing. Just look around this room right now, and you will see people who are older than you and people who are younger than you. Everybody gets to play in this diagram. And everyone is needed in this diagram. Some of you in this room are elders, are older people in the room. Listen, we need you. You have a lot of Timothys at New City Church. And we're trying our best to figure out life. You've got more experience and you probably have more money. Invest in us. Help us out. Teach us. Timothy's in the room. You ain't that good. We need to humble ourselves and look to our Paul's And don't say, we know better than you, but say, how can we learn from you? You need to quit hanging out with your peers. It's like the blind leading the blind, for heaven's sake. I'm serious. Friends are great, but your peer isn't Paul. And some of us, we we, we share all of our problems with the person who cuts our hair. Now, if they're older than you and much more wise, then you keep asking them. But if it's your girlfriend, or you go out to the clubs, or you go out dancing, or you're hanging out with the guys watching the game, and that's where you bare your soul, and you talk about your problems, and they look at you over a belch and go, I don't know. Listen, that's not the answer. That's not the answer. There are Pauls in your life that want to give you feedback and wisdom. And man, listen, don't be foolish and skip out on that. If you ignore them, listen, you're going to make some messes in your life. And then invest, man, right? Invest. And what's the last direction? Down. I would say this, who are those in your life that are far from God? Who are those that you need to bring to the foot of the cross? Who are those that, man, that they're on your street, they're at your workplace, and God's given you some sort of relationship with them, and your responsibility is Matthew 8, 28, 19, to go and make disciples, right? To teach and to train, to baptize. To, how do we reach out to those who don't yet know Jesus and invite them into this salvation, life-changing relationship? And can I tell you something? You don't have to look far for this. All you must do is open your eyeballs. Open your eyes. Take it off of the data sheet. Take it off the sales call. Take it off whatever responsibility you have and look up, look around, and you will see men and women who God has placed in your life for you, not me, you, to be the church and to invite them right into a relationship with Jesus. Why is God, your Paul's and your Timothy so important? Check this out. They're going to influence 
They're going to influence how you do and how you speak and how you share those who are far away from God. Without Paul's in your life, without Timothy's in your life, without having a consistent relationship with God in your life, here's what's going to happen. You're going to ignore those who are far from God because you're trying to figure out your own life. But when people are investing in you and you're investing in others, man, I got to tell you a crazy story. I got a little bit of time. Me and Charlie were at a restaurant the other day. We're having this conversation and this guy comes up to our table on his way out of the bathroom and stops and just has the most colorful conversation with me and Charlie. He doesn't know who we are at all. And Charlie says, well, don't have any context for this statement, but I'll tell you what he said. Charlie says, well, I'm not a politician, but I love the Lord. And the guy kind of laughs and walks away, gets about three steps. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Charlie's right here. He can tell you the truth. Guy takes about three steps, turns around and says, my wife passed away two weeks ago. And he comes back and I scoot over and I said, Randy, you know, I learned his name. So you want to sit down? He sat down by us. And I said this to him. I said, you have no idea who you sit down with, do you? I said, did you know that we're two pastors of a church? And he looks at me. He says, I'm the illegitimate son of a Southern Baptist preacher. And he had no room or space for God in his life. And I said, boy, did you pick the wrong table? God will do that for you. I was just trying to eat my sandwich. Right? I was just trying to figure out life for Charlie. Right? Charlie was trying to help me figure out life. And here it is, God brought somebody to us. I invited him to church. I got his number. I've been talking to him. He couldn't make it today. He said he'd be here next week. We'll see. I'm going to keep texting him until he does or blocks out my number. One of those two things happen, right? <laughs> hey, he gave it to me. It's not my fault. <laughs> but here's the thing. Can I be as bold to say, I think it's going to be extremely difficult for you to walk away when you walk in these directions. When you have God that you're meeting with consistently and you have Timothy's and Paul's in your life, and man, you, you can see how God is working when people that you've never talked to in your life come up to your table and make oddball statements and then turn around and open up their heart to you. Listen, you can't make this up. And you know that God's doing something in your life. Guys, listen, these directions are extremely important. So there's two things today that I kind of threw at you. What are the things that you don't think matter? The high places. And then this. Where are you deficient in your direction? And how do you beef those up? How do you go to work? we got little discipling tables in the back of the room. Some of our leaders are going to be back there at the conclusion of this service. If you want to talk, if you want guidance on, hey, who could be a Paul, a Timothy, this is a picture of discipleship. Walking with somebody so that you choose not to walk away or that you don't or can or won't walk away. Amen? So what's your high places? Where are your deficiencies in your directions? And here's the most dangerous question. What are you going to do about it? Because I've done my part. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today. I first want to uh, pray for Larissa and her family. God, I want to honor her life as much as I possibly can. I want to thank you for the two uh, folks that got baptized this morning. God, thanks for letting us be a part of their story. Thank you that you've placed this church in, uh, in their life where they can hear the word of God proclaimed. One as a child. Thank you for Kid City and the leaders and the Jeremy and Christine, their family, who are such great leaders and pastors in their own home. Thank you for them and for ministries who reach out and love and welcome people from all backgrounds of life to come in and hear the word proclaimed. God, reveal our high places and God, help us walk with those who are walking towards you. We honor you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.